Um, last week we took some time to talk about the Holy Ghost. We've been talking about our allies, our enemies, uh, the last few weeks. And uh, this last lesson we talked about how is the Holy Ghost our ally? What does he do? And uh, spent time discussing that. Tonight, I want to talk a little bit more about the Holy Ghost and specifically, how do we receive the Holy Ghost? From a biblical standpoint, what does that look like? What does the Bible teach about receiving the Holy Ghost? Um, how do we know that we've received the Holy Ghost? And these, these are good things for us to know. So hopefully, if you have uh, a pen, paper, something to, to jot some of these things down, these are helpful verses to remember um, and helpful in our understanding of the word and, and a, a, the ability to explain it. Um, and I love how you'll see, hopefully you'll see tonight, there is a nice little progression in the book of Acts um, that you can use whenever you're trying to explain to somebody about receiving the Holy Ghost. So the purpose of this lesson tonight is really twofold. First of all, it's for those who haven't received the Holy Ghost to hear it from the Bible. What does it mean to receive the Holy Ghost? And uh, I, I found that a lot of people have some mis myths and misconceptions about receiving the Holy Ghost, and um, that often comes from well-meaning individuals within the church, <laughs> praying for them in the altar, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I just want to set the record straight according to the Word of God, and so hopefully you're carrying some kind of a note, device, something to take and jot this down. For the purpose of you being able to re-explain this yourself, the Bible says that we should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in us. So I believe, you know, as, as apostolic Pentecostals, we should be able to definitely describe and tell somebody how they can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And uh, that's super important. And so let's, let's dive right into that tonight. Acts 1 and verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So right away from the onset of receiving the Holy Ghost, um, we, we get the idea, the understanding that the Holy Ghost is a gift. Uh, it's a promise, and it is something to be given and received. It is also something that uh, is, is part of the salvation experience. Uh, Jesus commanded them that they should go and wait for the promise of the Father. He commanded them to do it. Um, and he talked about how John baptized with water, but they would be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So Jesus is giving us the impression right here that this is an experience. This is not something that just lightly comes upon somebody, but as significant as it is for you to go down in the waters of baptism in Jesus' name, so it is for you to be filled with the Spirit. And so uh, the, the first thing I want to point out to us here tonight, that the Holy Ghost is definitely essential uh, for the salvation experience. It's, it's essential. Um, it is not a, a bonus. It's not a plus. It's not just a, a good thing to do, but it is essential, uh, an essential element of the salvation experience. Um, like breath is essential for the life of the new baby, so is um, the Holy Ghost essential for new believers in Jesus Christ. John chapter 3, verse 3 says, and this is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And later on in verse 5, Jesus said to Nicodemus, he cannot enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again of the water and of the Spirit. Jesus is talking about the salvation experience. Uh, we, we discover later on in the book of Acts, Peter kind of sums all of this up in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. 
Um, the backstory here is the apostles have now just been filled with the Holy Ghost. They're speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance, and um, there is a group of people gathering around them, and uh, they're, they're, they're amazed. They're amazed at, at what they're seeing, at what they're hearing, because they're, they're from all different parts of the country, they're from all different parts of the world, and they're Jews coming together in Jerusalem for the, the, the Feast of Pentecost. And while they're there, they experience this phenomenon. All these Galileans are now speaking in their native languages, glorifying God and praising God in their native tongue. And, and uh, uh, they, they gather around, and Peter begins to preach to them, these are not drunken, as you suppose, but this is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he goes on to explain to them what's taking place. And after that, Peter begins to preach to them about how Jesus Christ came and he ministered and he, uh, he worked uh, uh, and, and prophesied and healed and delivered and did all these great things. But then he, he sums it up and wraps it up by pointing everyone to the fact that Jesus was not just a prophet. He was not just a man. He was not just a, a preacher, but he was, in fact, the Messiah, and that the Jews had just crucified their Messiah. And likely, very likely, this host of people that was from all over had been in Jerusalem for about a month now because they had most likely come and made their pilgrimage for Passover and then decided to stay because it would have been a, probably a big trip to them to go all the way back home and then come back again for for Pentecost, so they just decided to stay in town. Well, Jesus was crucified on Passover 50 days before Pentecost. Now, 50 days later, Jesus is ascended, and now the Spirit is being poured out, and these same Jews that were there at the, the, the foot of the cross, the same Jews that were there at Pilate's residence uh, and, and standing before him shouting, crucify him, crucify him, are now listening to Peter preach, and they, the Bible says that they were pricked in the heart Acts 2.37. They were pricked in the heart and they said, Peter to the rest of the, the, unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What are we supposed to do now? Because for them, salvation was of the Messiah. Messiah was the one who was going to save them. You look at all the Old Testament prophecies about Messiah and they're very salvific. They're very uh, direction in the in the in pointing everybody in the idea that 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 Messiah was going to save the people. Now they thought Messiah was going to save them from Roman oppression or the tyranny of of the Greeks or the Syrians or whatever. But that this was not what Jesus came to do. Jesus did not come to establish a physical kingdom, but a spiritual one. And so Jesus establishes his spiritual kingdom by being enthroned on the cross. And he was crucified there. And now Peter's pointing to the Jews and saying, you've crucified, you've killed the one that you thought was going to save you. And they said, well, now what are we supposed to do, Peter? And Peter said, well, good news, boys and girls. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So Peter encapsulates what Jesus said to Nicodemus in a very simple instruction. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you're going to be born again of water, baptism, and of the Spirit, Holy Ghost infilling. And so this is, this is important. Now, you might want to contest that or, or you know, discuss around that, but consider this other scripture here in Acts 11, uh, and there's lots of others that we can go to to establish this point that receiving the Holy Ghost and being baptized is essential for salvation, but consider this in Acts 11. Peter is describing to the Jews, okay, so we're going to fast forward now. The Holy Ghost is poured out on the Jews on the day of Pentecost. It's poured out on the Samaritans in Acts 8. Now, in Acts 11, we come to a group of people called the Gentiles. These are non-Jewish people. Now, understand, this is a big deal because Gentiles could not be saved, according to the Jews, unless they became Jews themselves. They had to become proselytes. They had to 
to come into the Jewish faith. In fact, part of that, that experience of being coming Jewish from Gentile to Jew is you actually had to be baptized. You actually had to be baptized. In fact, it, today, if you go, if, if you were allowed to, um, go to the temple or the temple mount, they have unearthed baptismal chambers all around the temple. They called them mikvahs. And if you look up the word mikvah, you can look it up on Google. There's lots of pictures of what a baptismal a mikvah bath was for. Uh, women often used mikvahs for their purification rites, their monthly purification rites that they did. Uh, and, and that was a, a regular thing. They used mikvah baths for new priests coming in. They would go down and they would be fully washed in the mikvah bath. And this was a baptism. Proselytes, when they would come into the Jewish faith, had to be baptized. They had to come in, and, and many of them, women had to shave their heads, uh, men had to shave their... There was a big process, procedure of becoming a Jew from going from Gentile to Jew. And so all of this took place, and they were so they were familiar with the idea of baptism, but Jews were shocked at the idea that they would need to be baptized because they were Jews. So this was weird. This was odd. This was strange. This was like, wow, this is a new thing. To, for a Jew to get baptized was a new thing. For a Gentile to get baptized, that was normal. Because if a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, they would go in the mikvah. Anyway, um, so here we are in Acts 11. We're, we're introduced to a group of Gentiles from Cornelius' house. And Peter is sent to Cornelius' house by the Lord. The Lord sends Peter there, and an angel visits Cornelius and sends Cornelius to Peter. Okay? And so Peter is now explaining to the Jews who are pretty angry, why did you go to a Gentile's house, and why did you baptize these Gentiles? They should have gone through the proper procedures of becoming Jews. You know, they had to do their interview. They had to shave their head. They had to do, change their clothes. They had to do, get rid of their idols. They had to prove all these things before they could be allowed to be baptized. That was a Jewish way. Now, Pentecostals have adapted that in some ways. Um, you know, you need to prove that you're righteous before you get baptized. And that's wrong. That's very Jewish. But that's not biblical. That's not biblical. Uh, now, I think you need to repent, yes. And there needs to be a desire to change and turn your life around, yes, but you don't need to have everything organized and perfect and set up for you to be baptized or receive the Holy Ghost. Okay? So anyway, let's get back to the lesson. I can. There's so many rabbit trails on this lesson. i got to stay. I have to stay in my notes or we'll never get through it. So Peter's standing before the Jews. They're angry. They're upset. Peter, you've baptized all these Gentiles. You've gone and you've eaten with them. You fellowship with them. What is going on? This is so un-Jewish. And so Peter begins to tell them, listen, I was preaching to them because God told me to. And while I was preaching, they all began to speak in tongues just like we did. So I knew they received the Holy Ghost. So I could not forbid them to be baptized because the Holy Ghost had already baptized them with the Spirit. They needed to go through the water. Anyway, so Acts 11, 13. And, and so Peter's telling the story to these Jews. He's recounting the tale. And he tells them what the angel said to Cornelius. Okay, And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? He makes it very clear that, that the angel told Cornelius, you go to Peter and Peter will tell you how to be saved. Peter will tell you how to be saved. You get Peter to your place and salvation will come to you. And it's not hard to see from the account in Acts 10 that Peter's message to them was repent, 
Jesus is the Messiah, believe on him, he's the only one. And then while Peter's preaching, they all receive the Holy Ghost, so Peter commands them to get baptized in Jesus' name. So they were saved by this act of believing, repenting, being baptized, and filled with the Holy Ghost. We also see from this account, someone can receive the Holy Ghost before they're baptized. Now, that's very important because I've had people come to me and say, no, pastor, you see, Acts 2.38 says repent and be baptized. That's important. That's good. And then you'll receive the Holy Ghost. When you get baptized, you automatically receive the Holy Ghost. You don't need to speak in tongues. That's a gift of the Spirit that later comes. And so it's, you receive the Holy Ghost when you're baptized. Well, that contradicts what happened in, in Acts 10 because they, the Bible says they received the Holy Ghost before they were baptized. They received the Holy Ghost before they were baptized. And that's why Peter commanded them to get baptized right away. Be so they needed to be baptized, and they needed to have the experience of being filled with the Spirit. Now, tongues is the evidence of receiving, it's the initial evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. Acts 2 and 4, the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. This is the first time anybody speaks in tongues in the Bible, Acts 2 and verse 4. The first time. And the Bible makes it very clear that they, they began to speak with other tongues and it's speaking of them all. They were all filled and spoke with tongues. So it was not that some spoke with tongues. The Bible could have said they were all filled and some spoke with tongues. Right? Then we could make a case for, no, see, tongues is just a gift that follows the infilling of the Spirit, but it's not essential. It's not evidence. But in this case, it, the, the writing is, is indicative that Tongues was the evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. Tongues was the proof. When they spoke in tongues, it demonstrated, it proved that the Holy Ghost had filled their lives. Uh, you know, it's like tongues is not the Holy Ghost. It's the evidence of the Holy Ghost, right? Tongues is not the Holy Ghost. It's the evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. The next time we see people receiving the Holy Ghost is in Acts 8. The Bible makes the, tells the story like this. Philip is now preaching in Samaria. Persecution began to happen in Jerusalem, and so the church began to disperse. Philip leaves Jerusalem, goes to Samaria. And when he gets to Samaria, he begins to preach there about Jesus. And people begin to believe Philip's preaching about Jesus. Verse 12 says, when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So again, baptism, this is not a lesson on baptism, but just to reiterate, baptism is just as essential. If it was optional, as some teach is, some teach that baptism is optional, it's a, it's a statement of your faith. Why would the Bible make it clear that they were all baptized? Why would Philip make a deal about it? If it's optional, why even mention it? It's, it's optional. It's not essential. But it's essential because it's part of the salvation experience. It's how your sins are washed away. Baptism is essential. Both men and women are baptized. And then the Bible introduces us to a character by the name of Simon. Simon was a sorcerer. He was a a town magician that gained a lot of money from doing his magic tricks and his prophecies and soothsaying and all this kind of stuff. And Philip is converted to the preaching of Philip. Or I'm sorry, Simon is converted to the preaching of Philip. And the Bible says, then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs that were done. So he was amazed that that, that Philip was actually able to lay hands on people and pray for them, and they would receive a miracle, a healing. He was amazed by this. He wondered at this because he knew himself he was a fake, but, but he had made himself to be real. But here was someone with real power and authority doing things that he only wished he could do. 
verse 14, skip down to verse 14. The Bible says, Now when the apostles were at Jerusalem, and they had heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Now let's ask some good questions here, okay? If receiving the Holy Ghost is something that happens naturally when you repent, when you say the sinner's prayer, which, by the way, the sinner's prayer is a great prayer to pray as a prayer of repentance. It's confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're confessing him and that you believe in him, and that's important to do. I celebrate every individual who prays what is termed and deemed as the sinner's prayer. You make the Lord Jesus the Lord of your life. You surrender to his lordship. You repent of your sins. You confess him, believe in him. That's excellent. That's wonderful. Really great. It's so good. So if the Holy Ghost is given at that moment, why would they call for Peter and John to travel from Jerusalem all the way to Samaria to pray for them to receive the Holy Ghost. They've already received it. Because if we're going to go on some of the teachings and, and doctrines, and I'm not here to tear down those who teach or believe this. I'm just, let's just examine it from a biblical perspective and, and ask some questions. If they've already received the Holy Ghost, there's no need to call Peter and John to come. Just send the message to Peter and John that they've received it and let them celebrate in Jerusalem. If, if they have if baptism was optional, then, then there's even no need to mention it. It's just a, an extension of their, 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 their salvation experience and they're continuing on in their faith and that's wonderful news. But now they're calling Peter and John, come to Samaria. Now, understand the cultural implications here. Not only is this a long journey, because any journey on the back of a donkey or on foot is a long journey. Okay, walking from my house to my bus yard, which is just uh, just north of here, a little bit on Hunt Street, takes an hour. That's a long walk, <laughs> and it only takes t five ten minutes by car, right? So we lose the significance of going from one town to another, right? This is not a small journey. This is a big request. Why make that big request? if they've already received the Holy Ghost. It's evident. They had not yet received the Holy Ghost. And, and even though they had been baptized, they had prayed the repentance sinner's prayer, per se, but they had not yet received the Holy Ghost. So they asked Peter and John. Not only that, they're asking Peter and John to come to Samaria. Samaria is the place that the Jews avoid. Because it's full of half-Jews, half-Gentile, half-Jew. And Jews and Samaritans, when they walk by each other on the side of the road, they spit on each other because they hate one another. So here's Peter and John being asked to go to Samaria, knowing that when they get there, they're going to be spit on by Samaritans who don't know why they're there. That's a lot of hassle. That's a big ask for no reason. But it's not a big ask if they're actually there to pray people through to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because the people who are being prayed through, their salvation depends on that prayer. That's a very, that all of a sudden changes the dynamics. If the Holy Ghost is essential, then Peter and John traveling all that way, enduring the spitting and the persecution of the Samaritans, is 100% worth it because souls are going to be saved at the end of that lengthy journey. Verse 16, For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So again, that debunks the idea that once you're baptized, you automatically receive the Holy Ghost. They are separate, distinct events. Verse 17, Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now the Bible does not say they spoke in tongues. It doesn't say that. But every, I would say, an honest commentator, an honest Bible scholar will look at this verse and say, there is something that's being implied that's not being directly said. Because, verse 18, remember Simon? 
Simon's been baptized. Simon's been following Philip around, wondering, and every time Philip lays his hand on someone, they're healed. Every time he prays for someone, they're miraculously delivered. He's amazed at this. But when Peter and John show up, the Bible says that when Simon saw that when Peter and John laid hands on people, the Holy Ghost was given. He offered them money. He never offered Philip money for the power to heal people or perform miracles, which to me makes a little bit more sense, right? makes more sense that you'd want money to be able to... I mean, that's what people are seeking for today. They're seeking for miracles and signs and wonders. But what Simon actually wanted to pay for, he didn't want to pay for the ability to heal people. He didn't want to pay for the ability to cast out devils. He wanted to pay for the ability to lay hands on somebody and they received the Holy Ghost because something happened to them when they received the Holy Ghost. Something miraculous happened to them that was more amazing to him than being healed of a disease. That was evidently speaking in other tongues. So he was willing to pay money to pray for someone to receive the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Acts 10, the Jews confirmed that tongues was a part of the, the, the Gentiles receiving the Holy Ghost. Verse 46 says, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. They knew they received the Holy Ghost because they heard them speaking with tongues. Tongues. Tongues was the evidence. It's what proved that they had received the Holy Ghost. Acts 19, Paul runs into a group of men who were John's disciples in Ephesus. And he asked them, the first question he asked them, well, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Interesting question. I mean, if salvation was based on believing only, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And that's a scripture. But if we're just going to stop there at mentally believing or, or you know, assenting to it with our voice, then, then why even ask the question about receiving the Holy Ghost? Wouldn't it have been obvious? Because according to the, the current teaching of, of many churches, once you believe, you receive. Once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and confess Him as your Lord and Savior, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because it's a gift that's poured out upon you immediately upon salvation. So why ask the disciples, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Evidently, there's something to receiving the Holy Ghost. There's a, an experiential element to receiving the Holy Ghost that Paul was asking. And they, they answered and said, well, no, we have not even really heard that there is such thing as a Holy Ghost. And then John, Paul's immediate question, interestingly enough, is, well, how were you baptized? Because <laughs> if you haven't heard about the Holy Ghost, you definitely haven't heard about baptism, and I know this, but let's just find out, let, let's let you say it out loud, how were you baptized? And they said, well, we were baptized into John's baptism. And Paul said, well, that's great. You know, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, and that's wonderful. Great first step, boys. Guess what? Now, you need to be baptized unto Jesus. And so they were baptized, the Bible says, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues. Again, the Holy Ghost is not tongues, it's the evidence of tongues. The Holy Ghost fell on them, and they spoke with tongues. This is a, a, an experience that is linked together. They're linked. They, they come together. Tongues comes with the Holy Ghost. Now, when you are seeking, so we, we've established that tongues is essential for salvation. We've established that, or that, that, that receiving the Holy Ghost is essential for salvation. And that speaking in other tongues, the initial evidence, is part of that Holy Ghost infilling experience. Okay? We've established that in the Word. When it comes to praying to receive the Holy Ghost, because in every case that people receive the Holy Ghost, Prayer was a part of that. On the, the day of Pentecost, they were all gathered together in one accord, in one place, and that's where they were praying. They were praying together. They were having a prayer meeting, okay? So 
and in the case with Peter, Peter was preaching, and while he was preaching, the Holy Ghost fell on them, and evidently they began to pray and worship and glorify God and speak in other tongues as the Holy Ghost fell on them. Um, but never do we ever see anybody praying for tongues. We don't ever see anybody in the Bible asking God to help them speak in other tongues. If anything, they prayed to receive the promise of the Father. Jesus told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait there, tarry for the promise of the Father. So there were people that were praying for the Holy Ghost. They were praying to be filled with that promise, to receive that gift. They didn't really know what that was or what it would look like, but they prayed to have that experience. There were people that responded to the moving of the Spirit, like Cornelius and his brethren and and there were people who, after they had come out of the waters of baptism, like John's disciples, immediately began to speak in other tongues and, and prophesy and, and, and a, a, a worship the Lord in an experiential way. But no one begged God to help them speak in tongues. And none of them sought for the evidence. They sought for the gift. They sought for the gift of the Spirit. So it's very important, if you have not yet spoken in tongues, don't go to God and ask Him to help you speak in tongues. That's not, that's not what you should be seeking for. What you're seeking for is not the experience of speaking in tongues. You're seeking for the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's important for you to think that way when you're praying. Why? Because it really changes the dynamic of how you pray and what you're thinking about. The, how do I receive the Holy Ghost? Someone might ask that question. The, the first step to receiving the Holy Ghost is believing. Faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Before I would say faith is even a prerequisite to repentance. You cannot repent without faith. You've, you repent because of your faith, right? Because you believe in God and His Word, you believe what He says about sin. And you believe what He said about how to be forgiven of your sin. So you respond to that in faith by repenting. This is what the Bible calls saving faith. By grace, are you saved through faith? It's not a, of yourself, but it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Saving faith is you believing in God and therefore taking action on that faith and doing what God tells you to do. Faith is the important piece. When praying to receive the Holy Ghost, you've got to have faith that God is going to give it to you. This is a gift. Acts 2.38. Peter said that when you're baptized, when you repent and are baptized, you will receive. You shall receive. You shall. Shall is an affirmative uh, uh, indisputable indisputable word. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And it's a gift, by the way. So you don't have to earn it. You don't have to do jumping jacks. You don't have to jump up and down to receive the Holy Ghost. You don't have to go, Hello, give me the Holy Ghost, give me the Holy Ghost, give me the Holy Ghost. I want the Holy Ghost. I want the Holy Ghost. God, give me the Holy Ghost. Oh, man, when my kids do that on Christmas, I say, I ain't giving you nothing until you sit down and be quiet. <laughs> You don't get a gift by jumping up and down and, oh, give me, give me, give me. No, that's not how you get a gift. You receive the Holy Ghost by having faith, confidence, belief. When my kids wake up on Christmas morning, they have confidence there are gifts under the tree with their name on it. And they walk down the stairs in faith that something is there for them to open and it's theirs, already theirs. It's already purchased. They don't have to do anything to earn it. They don't have to do chores to open a gift. They know they can walk down the stairs 
And when it's time, they'll open their gifts. Right? Right. It's a gift. It's the same way with the Holy Ghost. If you're seeking God for the gift of the Holy Spirit, you need to believe before you even start praying, this gift is for you. God will fill you with the Holy Ghost. You've got to tell yourself that. You've got to believe that. The Bible says this gift is mine. It has my name on it. It's a promise from God. Luke 24, 49 says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. It's a promise. A promise. God does not break his promise. So when you come to receive the Holy Ghost, you need to have a smile on your face, expectation in your heart that says, I believe this is for me. Now, the, the devil will allow you to doubt and your flesh will cause you to doubt and maybe even past experiences will cause you to have questions of doubt. So, but what if I don't get it today? What if I don't, what if he doesn't give it to me now? That kind of thinking, and, and, and I'm, not to, I'm not here to cast dispersions or illegitimize those thoughts. They're real thoughts. And they, they even attack those who are praying for people to receive the Holy Ghost. I've been praying for people to receive the Holy Ghost and had the fear grip me. Well, I, I better be careful not to promise too much because what if they don't get it? And I've, I've had to really check that in my heart and say, look, this is a promise. I need to remind myself of the Word of God. This is a gift. This is a promise. God says if I will diligently seek Him, He will give it to me. If I have faith, if I have expectation, then God will fill me with the Holy Ghost. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say one of the things that I plan to say at the end right now. It's not hard to receive the Holy Ghost. It's hard to get through all of the mental blocks in our brain that stand in the way between us and receiving the Holy Ghost. It's not hard to receive it. Once you get it firmly planted in your mind, I believe it's for me, and I believe I can receive it right now. As soon as you're able to say that with confidence, you will receive the Holy Ghost within seconds. I believe it with all of my heart, confidently. Because this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. The Holy Ghost is one of those things you can tell anybody in any place, at any time, in any circumstance in their life, and they are legitimately able to receive it because it's a confirmed promise in God's Word. Acts 2, verse 16. But this is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And he defines that. Sons and daughters, young men and old men, servants and handmaidens. That's every walk, every age group, every ethnicity, every status of, uh, 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 of life, from servants and handmaidens to masters and leaders and countries, uh, presidents and, and administrators to every walk of life. The Spirit is able to be poured out on anybody. You can receive the Holy Ghost right while I'm speaking. I don't even have to stop and lay hands on you for you to receive the Holy Ghost. If you believe it in your heart and you begin to thank God for it, you can immediately receive the gift of the Holy Ghost because God wants to give it to you more than you want to receive it. How do I know that? Because you need it. It's not an extra. It's not an add-on. It's essential to your walk with God. Luke 11, verse 9. Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. Everyone that asks, receives. He that seeks, finds. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Then he says in verse 11, he illustrates this point by saying, If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone? If Jacob asked me for a loaf of bread, I would not hand him a rock. 
If Zachary asked me for fish, I will not give him a snake. Now, he might want both. <laughs> but, and if Renee asked me for an egg, I would not give her a scorpion. I'm, I'm just saying what Jesus said. Jesus said, if, if, if your child is asking for bread, you're not going to give them a stone. If they're asking for fish, you're not going to give them a serpent. And if, you, if they ask you for an egg, you're not going to give them a scorpion. So Jesus said in verse 13, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? In other words, when you ask God to fill you with His Spirit, He will fill you with His Spirit. He will. What often stands in the way is our own thinking. Perhaps fear stands in the way of receiving the Spirit. What is it like to speak in tongues? Does God come in and like treat me like a puppet? And uh, No, you have full control. You can start and stop whenever you like. God will not treat you like a puppy. He will not override your ability to control. You will always be in control of when you start and when you stop. So sometimes fear gets in the way of receiving the Holy Ghost. What do we do with that? Well, we bring that fear to the Lord. When you're praying, part of your prayer should be believing, so it should be confessing. God, I believe this gift is from you. You said it in your word. I'm asking you to fill me with the Holy Ghost. I want your spirit in my life. And I surrender all of my fear to you. What's the next step? The next important step of receiving the Holy Ghost. The first is to believe. You have to have that confidently in your brain. God does want me to have this. He will fill me and I will speak in tongues when I receive the Holy Ghost. The next very important step is to repent. And repenting even, repenting means to turn around. Now, sometimes repent gets a bad rap. It means, it sometimes comes with a little bit of baggage. That if you're repenting, it means you're a, you're a dirty, crusty old sinner. And you've got a lot of icky things you've got to get out of your heart and, and ask God to forgive you for. And there might be some truth to that, but I think it's a little bit over-exaggerated. Repent, the word repent, literally means to do this. I just repented. I was going this way, I'll do it again. I'm going to repent. Repent means to turn around and walk the other way. So if I'm walking towards fear, man, I, I, what, it, what is this Holy Ghost thing? What, will, I, will I sound funny? Will I be controlled? Will I be like taken over by some kind of weird force? That's fear. That's being afraid. Repenting is then going, God, I, I really want your spirit in my heart. I really want you to fill me. But I do have these fears. And I'm bringing them to you. I'm repenting. Because I'm not going to stay here and think on these fears and, oh, I'm so afraid. I don't know if I want it. I don't know. I want the Holy Ghost, but I don't know the speaking in tongues thing. What if I don't? Right? And then there's that, what if I don't receive, what if I don't speak in tongues? Then I'm not good enough. God doesn't want me. God doesn't want me to have the Holy Ghost. Why doesn't he want me to have the Holy Ghost? Well, maybe I'm just really bad. Well, if I'm really bad, God doesn't love me. You see it? Like, you just go down further, further. Repent. You don't have to say sorry for thinking these things. These are real thoughts. But turn around, from, turn your back to those thoughts, and give them to Jesus. Lord, I'm struggling with these thoughts. I'm struggling with fear that maybe you won't fill me with the Holy Ghost, but I remember what your word says. I shall receive the gift. I know that this is not dependent on how good I am because you're the one that paid for this gift for me. Thank you for, thank you for paying for my gift. Thank you for promising me you would fill me with the Holy Ghost. 
I receive your promise today, Lord. I ask you to fill me with, what am I doing there? I'm turning my back on my fears, on my concerns, and I'm turning back to Jesus. And do you, do you feel the tone change? The spirit of the room changes when I talk that way. Before when I was taught, you felt the spirit of the room just kind of get dark, even though still the lights didn't change. There was a spiritual darkness that entered, right? But when I turn my back on that, when I repent, repenting is turning away from the thinking of the world and the way of the world and turning to the Lord, I bring my, my weaknesses to him. I surrender control to him. Lord, I, I don't know what it's like to speak in tongues, but I, I really want your spirit so bad. I don't care what it is going to be like. I just want you in my life. I know that the Bible says you're loving, you're kind, you're gentle, you're meek and lowly of heart. And you want me to learn. So you're going to be, I know you're going to be gentle with me, Lord. It's not going to be like a lightning bolt knock me down on the ground and I tremble and shiver on the floor like a, I'm being electrocuted. No, that's, that's not what the Lord is doing. The Lord is gentle. And I might cry. Oh, but I'm afraid. What will people think? See, I got it again. Okay, God. I'm afraid of what people are going to think of me. So I, I bring that fear to you. What am I doing? I'm turning my back on my fears and I'm turning my face to Jesus. When I repent, I bring the things I'm hiding, afraid of, struggling with, and I turn them around and I bring them to Jesus. When I pray those things out, I release control of those things to the Lord. I take the power out of the fear, out of the inhibition, out of the struggle, and I give it back to Jesus. I surrender my life. I repent. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Maybe what you need to do is talk to somebody about your fears. Talk to pastor, talk to me about the things you're struggling with, afraid of concerning re receiving the Holy Ghost or speaking in other tongues. Or for those of you that are listening, you've already received the Holy Ghost, be sensitive to somebody's fears. Be sensitive to somebody's concerns. Validate them. That's a real thing. I've, I, I think I can identify with what you're saying. I think I've felt like that at some time too. That's okay to feel that way. Why don't we bring that to Jesus? Encourage them. Bring it to the Lord. Tell the Lord your fears. Tell the Lord. What about the man whose son was possessed with the devil? Jesus said, if you believe, anything can be possible. And the man said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And you know what Jesus did? Eh, good enough. Healed. Because he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Here's some myths. We're going to close with this to receiving the Holy Ghost. You need to get your life right first. That's a myth. The only prerequisite to receiving the Holy Ghost is faith and repentance. Two things. It needs to be in a church service. You gotta wait till the Holy Ghost Crusade and wait till the organ is at that right peak. And the drums are banging and everyone's singing the fast song for you to get the Holy Ghost. No! Nobody received the Holy Ghost in an atmosphere like that in the New Testament. Nobody. You need to be standing with your hands in the air, your, your chin needs to be up, you need to smile and spit your gum out. That's not in the Bible. Do you know who the first people to receive the Holy Ghost, what they were doing? They were sitting. They weren't even worshiping. They were praying while they were sitting down. That's Acts 2. How to receive the Holy Ghost according to the book of Acts. Sit down. <laughs> Get comfortable. And pray. Just talk to the Lord. Well, someone needs to lay hands on you to receive the Holy Ghost. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Laying hands on someone is a point of faith. It helps someone push them a little bit beyond that, that oh, now someone's laying their hands on me, and there's a, a contact, there's something about faith and the, the acts, the physical act of being prayed for that helps somebody. But that doesn't help everybody. 
And not everybody received the Holy Ghost with someone laying hands on them. Cornelius, they received the Holy Ghost while Peter was preaching. I think the best way to receive the Holy Ghost is all by yourself. Because then you're not associating with any one person. It comes straight from God. Someone needs to be whispering in your, in, in your ear, oh my goodness, no, 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 no. You can receive the Holy Ghost in the privacy of your own bedroom. You don't need pastor to lay hands on you. You don't need a church service to encourage you. You can receive the Holy Ghost on your own. Now, it's better for you to receive it in the presence of family, friends, and church family because others can confirm the experience that you have. They can share in that and have joy in it. That's good. That's, that's good. But you can receive the Holy Ghost all by yourself. You have to say, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. No, no, you don't. You confess your faith to God. You ask God to fill you. You bring him your doubts. You repent and you worship him. And you get your mind off talking in tongues and get your mind on Jesus. Well, you need to tarry for the Holy Ghost. Pray until you get it. If you're praying for the Holy Ghost for a period of time and you get tired, it's okay to stop. It's okay. In fact, it's better to stop, regroup, and pray again. Or better to stop altogether and pray the next day. It's hard to get the Holy Ghost. No. It's hard sometimes to get past our mental blocks to receiving the Holy Ghost. But it's easy to receive the Holy Ghost. It's as hard to receive the Holy Ghost as it is hard to receive a gift and open it. Amen. Why don't we close in prayer? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of your spirit. I pray that this message would help somebody, Lord, who is hungry for you, hungry for a move of your spirit in their life, hungry to receive the Holy Ghost. I pray, Lord, that you'd reveal yourself to us and help us to be sensitive to those who are seeking tonight. Bless those who are seeking for this gift, and I pray, God, that they would receive it now in Jesus' name, that they would lift their hands and just worship you and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. In Jesus' name, we thank you and we praise you for it, God, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you tonight. You're dismissed.